This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Group. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for other great podcasts. You're listening to Coffin Cast. Please be aware that this is a dark subject matter and may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Coffin Cast, episode 27. I am your host, Kristen. Happy New Year, Cough fans. We're in 2020. Do you know what that means? Because I sure as hell don't. I was hoping maybe you did. But here we are. We're in 2020. We're a few days in. I apologize for the late episode. But here it is. I hope it'll be worth it. I think it'll be worth the wait. Because it's a pretty good episode. It's a pretty interesting story. So we're sticking with the polls that I did, I think, about a month ago, give or take, where I asked you what you wanted to hear. First it was Rasputin, then it was the Jenny Jones show murders, and then it was wrestling. So this, we're on the second week of these polls, and I know we skipped because of Kristen going to Dallas, Kristen doing Dallas, even though she didn't do nothing. Um, I mean, she did things, but not what that title implies (laughs) um but we're back on topic with the jenny jones show murder i hesitate to call it that and i think by the end of the episode you'll kind of get why just a reminder next week we will be doing wrestling i still haven't figured out what kind of theme i want to go with because it's like you know i'm kind of in a toss-up between wrestling deaths and just one wrestling death in the ring but I'm I'm kind of mulling things over trying to find out what I can get the most information on and what would be the least offensive and also the most entertaining if death can be entertaining that's the whole point of this podcast though so if you're here you're okay with it I'm assuming I also want to say I'm surprised at how many of you wrestling fans are into coffin cast or at least following me on Twitter I'm happily and very pleasantly surprised, so I really appreciate that, and I definitely want to thank you for that. Also, what is it with the Hallmark movie fans that really enjoy the podcast? I love it. I think it's great that these very polar opposite interests kind of match up with Coffin Cast, so that's great, and I really appreciate it. I don't know if there's any Hallmark murders out there. I'm sure I can find something. I don't know. So first, before we jump into the episode, let's talk a little bit about crushes. Why are we talking about crushes? You'll understand. So crushes are these little flutterings in our stomach and our chest when we think of a certain someone. More than friendship, less than love, but kind of aiming towards love. Mostly they're innocent. Someone likes someone. They tell them either it's mutual or not. No harm, no foul. But what if the person that you confess your crush to is so offended by your having a crush on them that they are thrown into a rage. I want to put this out there, a little bit of a warning. 
this topic may be a bit sensitive and I also want you to keep in mind as you're listening, this happened in 1995. Sexuality was still a very touchy subject for mid-90s middle America audiences. With that, let's get started on this week's episode. I'm calling it Daytime Nightmare, and because of the late episode, I'm going to give you a bonus story. Now, which of these ways would you choose to reveal your secret crush on someone? A, would you write that person a letter? B, would you tell the person in private in case he rejects you? Or C, would you tell that person that you're gay and you hope he is on national television? (laughs) That's how the show started. It was the same-sex crush episode of the Jenny Jones Show. It was taped on March 6, 1995 and promised to be scandalous to mid-90s audiences who still looked at homosexuality as a taboo. The episode would never air. But let's get some backstory. 32-year-old Scott Amador heard that the Jenny Jones show was looking for people with same-sex crushes, and boy, did he have one. He and his friend Donna Riley called the show. So let's talk about Scott a little bit. Scott was born January 26, 1963 in Pennsylvania. His family moved to Michigan when he was young, and he quit high school at the age of 17 to join the Army after getting his GED. He was trained in satellite communications and ended up being stationed in Germany. While he was there, he broke his leg skiing and was given an honorable discharge with the rank of specialist. He worked several jobs before becoming a bartender. He also took in a lot of friends that had AIDS and cared for them while they were sick. Many people said that he was generous to a fault. Now, the object of his affection was a 24-year-old waiter, Jonathan Schmitz who was a mutual acquaintance between he and his friend Donna. Scott said the first time he saw Schmitz, he was under Donna's car working on a brake line. When Jonathan was contacted to be on the show, he was initially excited. He believed his crush may be his ex-fiancee or his ex-girlfriend or a co-worker that he was into that he thought was also into him. He said that the producers led him to believe that his crush was a female, but producers argued that they said it could be male or female on several occasions, and Jonathan just ignored what he didn't want to hear. In other words, Jonathan was straight. Scott's brother Frank said later, I think Scott went on the show not with the intention of embarrassing anybody. I think Scott went on the show thinking this is going to be a spectacular way that he could show somebody he cares about them. According to Scott's mother, Pat Graves, Jenny coerced Scott into saying things he didn't want to. She said, quote, make it look good or she's going to get very mad, end quote. Before we get into the episode, let's talk about the Jenny Jones show in general. The show started in 1991 and started out tackling serious subjects. It was a similar format to the Oprah show, but two years in, the show was losing ratings. So the show moved on to more strange and salacious subjects, i.e. confronting former bullies, out-of-control teens, and secret crushes. The formula worked, and by 1995, when the show was filmed, the show itself was at the height of its popularity. The day of the show rolls around, and Scott is understandably nervous. Donna is there with him for moral support and maybe to be a decoy so that Jonathan thinks she is the one that has the crush. According to Donna, during the trial and under oath, 
She said the producers noticed that they were nervous and told them to have a few drinks and that they had a tab at the hotel bar that the show would cover. Also, they wanted Scott to give Jonathan flowers and kiss him, which she declined. Jonathan was backstage with headphones so as not to reveal anything off camera. Donna and Scott are on stage, and Scott goes on about how they met. Jenny pushes him on his fantasies about Jonathan, to which Scott somewhat rolls his eyes and looks at his friend. Remember, he met him while working on Donna's break line. He said he could only see the bottom half, so, quote, you can imagine... She pressed him further on the fantasy, and he said that it had to do with brake line snapping and oil. Then she pushed him even further to reveal a fantasy about tying Jonathan up to a hammock and whipped cream and champagne being involved. When Jenny asked if Jonathan knew he was gay, he said yes. And she asked if he knew if Jonathan was gay. Donna said she didn't know, and Scott said anything is possible. Jonathan was told to come out, and he hugs Donna. And then he kind of awkwardly hugs Scott. Then he sits down. When it is revealed that Scott is the one with the crush and not Donna, he turns to them both and says, with a smile plastered to his face, you lied to me. It's not discernible if he is talking to one of them or both of them. Supposedly, he asked them both if they were going to be in Chicago that week, as that was where the show was filmed. And they both told him no. They then play back what Scott said about the fantasies and Jonathan covers his face and laughs. Jenny asked him what his status was, if he was seeing anyone, and Jonathan said no, but I am definitely heterosexual, I guess you could say. It was a little awkward, but it seemed as if Jonathan was flattered, but not interested. Flights changed so all three could ride back together on the same plane. He even offered the two a ride home from the airport after the show. The three got drinks when they got back to the Detroit area. Now, there is speculation on whether a threesome was discussed or if a sexual encounter actually took place, but being that I cannot verify that, I am not going to discuss it further. So that's this week's episode of Coffin Cast. You can find me on- I'm just kidding. You know that that would not be a Coffin Cast episode if everything turned out okay and there was no harm done and everybody was happy and they just went their separate ways. I wish that was the case but this is a Coffin Cast episode. But before we get into the aftermath, I would like to introduce you to my good friend, The Seer, over at Scry, a really good podcast. And I'd like to tell you a little bit about Anchor. And then we'll go ahead and get back into the story. There is darkness in the world, but none as dark as those things that exist beyond the thin veil that separates our reality from theirs. Be it demons, the deceased, or diabolical entities intent on corrupting your immortal soul, there are things out there waiting to make contact with those unfortunate enough to stumble across them, or those foolish enough to go looking for them. Scry serves as your audio medium, your oral mirror into the darkness that dwells in the depths of the shadow realms. Turn off your lights, put in your earbuds, and say a prayer of protection against the things that go bump in the night. This is Scry. Scry.
Back to the story. Fast forward three days later. Jonathan Schmitz was out drinking with his friends all night, and when he returned home in the morning, he found a note on his doorstep. The note was from Scott, and it said allegedly, according to Jonathan's lawyer, quote, if you want to get it off, I'm the only one with the right tool, end quote. So what happened next is Jonathan withdrew $300 from his bank account. He went to a hardware store and bought shotgun shells. He went to a sporting goods store and bought a shotgun. With that, he showed up to Scott's trailer. He was unarmed at this point when he knocked on the door. Scott opened the door and had a house guest over, and the two talked seemingly amicably according to the house guest. Jonathan asked him if he left the note at his apartment, and Scott answered yes, he did. Jonathan told Scott he left his car running and he had to turn it off, but he'd be right back. When Jonathan returned, he had a 12-gauge shotgun. Scott frantically tried to close the door, but Jonathan got in. Scott grabbed a chair to shield himself and stumbled into the kitchen. It was there that Jonathan shot him once in the chest. Scott stood there stunned, holding his chest before falling, and Jonathan shot him when he was on the ground once again. Jonathan fled the residence and stopped at a gas station where he called 911 in hysterics. He was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and committing a felony with a firearm. The prosecution argued that though he was embarrassed, the homicide was not justified and he had to go to two separate stores to buy ammo and the gun, so he had time to consider what he was about to do, making it premeditated. The defense argued that Jonathan was ambushed and humiliated on live TV, and due to him suffering Graves' disease, which can cause violent and irrational behavior as well as manic depression, he was not in his right mind. Both the prosecution and the defense seemed to use homosexual panic as the defense which means that Jonathan was afraid of being perceived as gay because a man had feelings for him and that he deserved sympathy. The defense blamed Scott and the Jenny Jones show while the prosecution seemed to blame the show more so than Jonathan. This caused a big problem with the gay activists in the Detroit area. They said that the show being blamed was just smoke and mirrors and, at its essence, this was a hate crime. They were fearful that Jonathan Schmitz would be exonerated simply because his victim was a gay man who had a crush on him. In turn, that would cause other people to act out and other innocent people to be killed. The show's producers, even Jenny Jones herself, were called to the trial, where they were grilled about how much alcohol was provided to the guests and how they handled Jonathan Schmitz's questions about who the crush haver was and if they misled him into thinking it was a woman. Jonathan Schmitz was found guilty of second-degree murder meaning he acted with malice but without premeditation, on November 12, 1996. He was released on parole in 2017 after serving a little over the minimum sentence of 20 years. The Jenny Jones Show was sued civilly by Scott's family, saying they failed to check out Jonathan's background and mental illness and coercing Scott into saying things he normally wouldn't say. They considered them negligent in protecting Scott. They were awarded approximately $30 million. The ruling was later overturned by the Michigan Court of Appeals. The show never aired, but it can be found on YouTube. 
Ratings of the Jenny Jones show declined in its remaining years until it was canceled in 2003. Now, this is not the only time that a talk show has been considered the catalyst for a murder, however. The Jerry Springer show is daytime TV at its trashiest and most scandalous. And yet it's still on the air, so perhaps that says more about us as a society than we want to believe. In 2000, German national Ralph Panitz and his second wife, Eleanor, went on the Jerry Springer show to confront his ex-wife, Nancy, about stalking them. She would reportedly show up wherever they were. Didn't matter if they were at dinner, didn't matter if they were getting a drink with friends, didn't matter if they were at a movie, she would be there. The audience jeered Nancy when she came out, as she was older and a little bit on the heavy side. It came out during the show, as anybody that has ever watched Jerry Springer knows. They were all staying at the same hotel, and Ralph just happened to sleep with Nancy that morning. And that was much to Eleanor's surprise, though. Ah, shock, ah. You know, that's how the show is. We know. We've all unfortunately seen it, even if we don't want to admit it. Ralph kissed both ladies on stage, and they all went home, where the affair with Nancy continued off and on. But either way, on July 24th, 2000, Nancy ended up getting a restraining order, which forced Eleanor and Ralph out of the house that she was paying for. Eleanor and Ralph, and Ralph's nephew Marcus, who was visiting, had a few minutes to vacate the house. Coincidentally enough, the episode was scheduled to air that day. So Ralph left Eleanor and Marcus to pack up their stuff while he went to a bar to watch the episode. He returned a couple hours later, completely smashed, and fell asleep on the bed and continued to leave the other two to pack. After a while, Nancy returned with a police officer, and Ralph was snuck outside so that he wouldn't be violating the restraining order. Eleanor told him to wait at a nearby convenience store while the two of them picked up and drove away. Supposedly, Eleanor told Marcus that they had to go back because she had this feeling that Ralph would return to the house and it would be a problem. So she stopped... And Marcus went running back to the house, finding it barricaded. He ran to a neighbor's house and told them to call 911, fearing the worst. Eleanor drove around the block a couple times and found Ralph walking towards her down the street. And the two drove off and weren't seen for the next four days. Back at Nancy's house, where Marcus was waiting after being abandoned by his aunt and his uncle, police showed up. And she was found on the kitchen floor, beaten beyond recognition, and strangled to death. The only evidence was a shoe print from a pair of sketchers in blood. Eleanor's father reached them by cell phone, and Eleanor stated she didn't even know Nancy was dead until her father got a hold of her and told her. When they did turn themselves in four days later, Eleanor stated that they were running from INS because Nancy threatened to have Ralph deported. Ralph was wearing Skechers that just happened to have Nancy's blood on them. Ralph was charged and convicted of second-degree murder, and he is currently serving a life sentence without parole. Eleanor was not charged or convicted of anything. He and Eleanor still proclaim his innocence. Nancy's son sued the Jerry Springer show for $25 million, but gave up the case 
when Scott Amador's family case was overturned by an appeals court. Nancy's family decided not to pursue the case any further. That's it for this week's episode of Coffin Cast. Short, but hopefully still sweet. Hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, this week I am going to be working on the wrestling episode. I'm trying to think what route that might take. I've gotten some good suggestions. Still thinking about it, still mulling over some things, and then I'll get started on research ASAP so that the next episode is not late again, because we don't want that. For the Patreon episode this month, I am going to be talking about the adventures of Maria Rasputin, the equally kooky daughter of the Rasputin. She had a pretty interesting life as well. I know I touched a little bit on her in the Rasputin episode, but we'll go into more detail. Speaking of Patreon, I want to thank our newest Patreon, and that's Cara DiDemizio. So that's two Patreons now. Patrons. Are they? See, this is what I get confused on. Are they called Patreons or are they called Patrons? We'll say Patrons because that makes more sense. So that's two of them now. Between the two of them, they decided on the next Coffin Cast The Afterlife episode. Just think, for less than a cup of coffee, you could be helping making those decisions. You could basically be a producer on this podcast. Take some of the pressure off me for a little bit, guys. If you're interested, go to patreon.com slash coffincast and join up. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at coffincast with a capital C on Instagram at coffincastpod. Also, you can find me on Facebook just by searching coffincast. There's also coffincast.com. And if you feel like it, you can email me at coffincastpod at gmail.com. I always say that wrong, so hopefully you don't email whoever is coffincast at gmail. That's bad. It's coffincastpod at gmail.com. Give me your ideas. Give me your feedback. Talk to me. Just say hey. Give me constructive feedback, if you will. And that's it. That's this week's episode. So, you know how it goes. Life is but a dream walking, but death is going home. Have an excellent week, and I will see you Monday. 